Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette. Why is it that the poet tells so little of the sense of smell? These are the odors I love well. The smell of coffee freshly ground, or rich plum pudding, holly crowned, or onions fried and deeply browned. The fragrance of a fumy pipe, the smell of apples newly ripe, and printer's ink on leaden type. Woods by moonlight in September, breath most sweet, and I remember many a smoky campfire ember. Camphor, turpentine, and tea, the balsam of a Christmas tree. These are the whiffs of grammarie, a ship smells best of all to me. That was this episode's guest, Marcella Evaristi. That was a wee poem that I got at school when I was really, really little, and it stayed with me for uh, till now. And it's by Christopher Morley. I think it's I think it's quite famous. And I just I find it extraordinary how how beautifully he covers these these universal fragrances and 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 smells that are so laden with association. I think it's extraordinary. I'm Joe Barrett, and joining me with our guest is co-host Odette Toilette. Marcello is a playwright who has written for stage, screen, and radio. She is currently working on a second series of her Radio 4 family sitcom, The Go Betweenies, which stars David Tennant and Sarah Alexander. We started, as always, by asking Marcella to recount some of her very earliest smell memories. I was brought up in this very nice suburb of South Glasgow called Gifnock. And most of my, my parents um, had this... It's very much admired now. It was a kind of very... It was, it was built in the 50s, a very modern style. And being a contrary child, I always thought I would I preferred old houses. And at the very top of Maine's estate, there was this extraordinary little, I think it was 18th century house, kind of tumbly and, and interesting. And Mrs. Watson lived there. And Mrs. Watson completely fascinated me because she was the only person I'd ever heard that had that kind of voice that wasn't coming out of the television or the radio. She would stop me, and she looked like Virginia Woolf, and she would wear great kind of flappy raincoats, and she'd say, and she'd stop me, and she'd say, how was your dear mamma? And she's still making that marvellous pasta. With these long, long sort of posh English vowels, and this kind of, this sense that, I, I just knew she came from a completely different world that wasn't middle class or working class, there was something else. I just didn't know what it was. And I think that whole experience of childhood where your sensory perception is so alive and you've got to catch up to find a language or a way of describing what it is you're bumping into. And she was like that. And she, she invited me into her house and her daughter was an art student. And so I was allowed paints and paper. And, and in, her, in her room, there was this, uh, this world of, of sort of thready-edged rugs and tumbly tumbling bookshelves and she gave me lapsang tea and and um fruit cake and i it was as if the lapsang stood for this bohemian arty world that i'd never actually come across before and i just always loved the association and the great kind of odd meaty smell of it and taste of it vicks vapor rub and i remember my mother's pinky nail a long nail, having scooped out a gobbit of it, 
coming towards me to be inserted into my nostril. And I remember having to stay incredibly still, because you would, wouldn't you, if that was coming towards you. And my whole, actually, my whole childhood was smeared with, with Vicks Vapor Rub. Um, my mother was very protective of me, and I had asthmatic bronchitis as a wee girl, God help me. No, it didn't happen very badly. But I used to have this layer of, of um, Vicks Vapor Rub and two vests, and my mother would send me to school with a note saying I couldn't go swimming. And my gym teacher hated me and thought my Italian parents were wimpy. <laughs> as a punishment, she wouldn't let me take my coat and scarf off. And I'd have to sit in the chlorine atmosphere of the swimming pool and um, with these waves of chlorine and Vic going up my nose. It's weird. I have a masochistic kind of relationship with it because I still kind of like it, even though it made me suffer. But then that's often been the case. <laughs> <laughs> Life in Sense. I remember my dad had a wonderful cafe, wonderful cafe called the Alhambra Cafe in Glasgow. And I remember this going in and just being hit with this lovely combination of smells of hot salted peanuts and bacon and sort of steamy coffeeness, sort of vague caffeine, caffeiness in the air. My father smoked King Edward cigars and the smell was kind of elegance and maleness. And I, I just, a very specific time. I, my, the cafe was outside a wonderful variety theatre called the Alhambra Theatre. And so I rem- and my, my father and mother were very close friends with uh, Jimmy Logan. And I remember my father and Jimmy smoking these cigars together. And I, I remember being taken to the shows at the Alhambra. At the interval, the air would be filled with the smell of this cigar smoke, and it was always mixed up in my memory with sort of velvet theatre curtains and the whole experience of being there. So it's, it's very, I mean, it's hugely evocative. I really, you know, if I smell, if I smell expensive cigars, I, I have a great stab of, of missing him. He's no longer around. And I, I sort of imagine that the kind of thick wetness of Glasgow really sets that off really well. Well, yes, it was a, it was a real association of... It was a kind of evening smell. It was a very, it's raining outside, we're safe in here under lights kind of smell. Beautiful. We used to have these glorious long, long summers in Italy when I was little. And I remember that when we came back, um, we, my father drove, we'd take the car. The car would be on the train and we'd get off at St Enoch's. And we'd get back into St. Enoch's Station and I would inhale and it would be, it would be Glasgow. It's kind of, I don't know, what, what, would you, what kind of smell is Glasgow? An electric greyness. Yeah. And uh, fish and chip shops. If I, if I smell fish and chips here, I'm transported to fish and chip shops in Glasgow and fish and chips are much better in Glasgow than in England. That wonderful smell of vinegary newspaper and the weight of a fish supper. Is heaven, and is always going to be Glasgow. My parents were very elegant, and a clear memory of my mother's dressing table. I'm, I'm probably getting a bit mixed up between the diff- which bottles were which, but she had Madame Rocha and Je Reviens, and one of the bottles had a little brown velvet ribbon at the top, 
and I remember the smell of her, and she was very, she was, she was very beautifully dressed and beautiful, and so I, I, I have this strong little girl's memory of that sort of mixture of sensations of my, of my mother's smell, of the name of the perfume, what Frenchness might be. You know, you think of, I, oh, I think I almost thought of her as Madame Rocha, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I just, I love looking back and thinking, not just that I remember a smell, but what I was saying earlier about before you, you kind of knew what labels were attached to what, you were, you were in the slipstream of these smells and, and feelings and, and images. And I, I, I love that kind of, yeah, I just was. I just, I love that merging in memory. I think it's kind of beautiful. When I was, when I was, well, not so little, when I was at my 15, we're going on a bit here, jumping on ahead, but um, I wasn't allowed to do art because I was supposed to be a doctor and I was made to do science and I was, I felt hugely the victim, um, deprived of artistic expression, tragically. So I used to hang around the art room inhaling. I still can't really pass an art shop without going in. So turpentine, oil paints, pencil shavings, just, oh, I mean, they, they just fill me with desire. And the thing, about, the thing about painting and drawing too is that I'm a writer and, you know, I, sometimes words just, I can't bear them. Like they cluster around my neurosis instead of clustering around my characters. And then it's heaven to go into this word wordless place of painting and drawing and, and and surrounded by these smells oh it's turpentine oh it's wonderful it's so sexy <laughs> is there a, is there a specific place that that takes you back to it, it's a kind of existence it's a metaphysical place it's um very early on actually my mother actually she said whenever you get sad whenever you you need to actually i don't know i was going to say be by myself but it's just i i need to actually it transports me back to the first oil painting i was bought so i actually could move from like you know watercolors and we sort of palettes of stuff to actually the good splodgy stuff and and just the joy of 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 scooshing out oil paint onto a palette and the kind of sensuousness of it We've got another smell here in a tin. Oh, Borotalco. is very funny. Borotalco, Robert, to give it a proper name, it's Robert's Borotalco. And it used to make me make, we were Italians, but, but Scots. I mean, in the sense that we were living in Scotland. My parents were both Italian. But we thought it was very funny that in Italy, every, every delicate little baby folded up and it's wee, you know, linen and cotton embroidered attention smelt of this glorious talcum powder but the italians italiani thought that it was english you know they assumed that we all bought it from fortnum and masons with our marmalade you know and they would be very bemused that we would be like my mother and i would be buying tubs of it to take home because we associated it with italian babies do you know the tin is this wonderful oval green covered pot which i'm not putting all over me Oh, isn't that lovely? It's vanilla. It's so beautiful. It's just, it smells of looked after babies. It makes me want to cry. 
Robert's Borotalco, rinfrescante, assorbente. And it says, the, the, you know, the best dust, the best talcum powder. I love that dust. La migliore polvere per la pelle. And there's your, your nanny, your old-fashioned. She's obviously meant to be English nurse, sprinkling it um, over a very a delighted baby. It's all very Madonna and child, but with uniform. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about the whole thing of babies and smells, and I was thinking, obviously, in all this, you know, there are smells that are, are ghastly as well, that are very evocative and, and, and fill your memory. But I was just thinking, it's very, in the same way that, you know, when, when you're pregnant, your body's doing this strange hormonal rumba, and you go from, like, you know, ecstatic and, you know, mystical union with the world because you're with child to completely satanically bonkers. I think in the same way, when, you, when you're with a small baby, the world of smell, the planet of smells that you now inhabit is extreme. I mean, it's like fragrance, merda, the, the, the sweetest little smell in the world to vomit, all in, you know, zigzagging through your day. It's, it's, quite, it's quite extraordinary. I think it's no surprise that when you're with, well, I had twins, so I so was even more sleep deprived. But suddenly I think that you feel that you're in this, you are in this different planet. It's just that nobody else kind of realizes that you're separate. You know, you live in a different sort of soundscape and smellscape from other people. Life in sense. There was another product that actually, when, when I was talking about thinking about childhood memory, that that was kind of sweet. My father had and was very proud of this magnificent head of hair, his curly mane, and he used to. He used to rub a product called Silvercrin on it. It was this kind of white liquid, and it was meant to kind of, you know, make sure that you didn't lose your hair. And he used to sprinkle it on and rub it in. And my sister and I used to stand behind him like little monkeys, rubbing our heads <laughs> and jumping up and down and laughing at him because he was so vain. <laughs> I think I'm a bit of a mirror merchant myself. I think um, I think I I have quite sympathy with him not wanting to lose his hair, and he never did. He never did. He had this wonderful silvery mane, like Placido Domingo. The other thing I wanted to talk about was how a smell can be associated with a particular moment, with a particular wee activity, and and one ritual. In fact, I've I've been trying to to write a, a poem about it because it's it's kind of I don't know. I think that's the wrong way round. I don't think that I've been wanting to write a poem about it. It more feels as if a poem keeps sort of knocking at the door, demanding to be written. It just almost have what it feels like until you get sort of so nudged that you just sit down and write it. And what it was, my my father used to um, have this little ritual because he knew about fruit and vegetables and, and things of the earth. He was a country boy and I was just a wee suburban girl. And he used to have a great ritual of choosing a perfect peach for me. And we would buy our peaches when we went to Italy. We would buy our peaches in crates. Then we'd bring a crate of peaches back. And I have this just acute memory of very detailed of this crate of white peaches sitting on the kitchen table. And my father pushing my hand away and him hovering above and choosing, replacing until he actually found the absolutely right one for me. And it was all about smelling it. And then when he finally chose it, the winner, he placed it under my nose and told me to breathe. And now when I miss him, or actually 
when I see peaches, especially white peaches. I can't resist buying them, and I can't resist actually just lifting them up and smelling them just deeply. It stayed with me all my life. Do you have the poem that you could maybe read to us? I do. It's, a, it's an early version, so I don't know if it will end up this way. This is it so far. The smell of white peaches. You made a wonderful palaver of choosing my white peach for me. I want to return you to the kitchen chair, put you back like a peach placed back in the crate. I want us back in Via Boccherini, where the row of peaches were. I remember how you wouldn't let me near the choosing, and how slowly your strong hand, with its dull gold weight of ring, replaced my young hand back onto my lap, the way that all the peaches were solemnly replaced. You were slightly smiling and measured, but I saw how right inside the joke, within your slight smile, like the peach's dark stone centre, I saw how seriously you took the expertise that you had over me. A country boy hiding in a business suit all year, but now, before a crate of white peaches, your hand hovers and pauses over all the pallid spheres, and finally you choose the perfect peach that's fit for me. And in triumphant courtliness, you put the peach beneath your little daughter's nose and tell me now to breathe. Do you think you use your sense of smell a lot in its primitive sense? So choosing what food to eat and working out what's fresh or navigating the environment. Is that something you do or do you sort of forget about it and it pops back now and then? I think it's something I constantly do. And I think it's part of the pleasure of... I love cooking. And it's a, it, it kind of keeps me sane. I love the whole process of chopping and, of shopping and, <laughs> chopping, of shopping and choosing and whatever. And part of that joy is that placing of my face into bunches of fresh mint or peaches or whatever. And, and yeah, and it's part of the joy of it. Who is it? Is it? It's George Steiner who talks about the mysticism of the everyday. And I think there's that weird thing of like the more you are in earthiness, the nearer you are your soul. So that smelling a peach brings me near to my, to my father. Italy has loads of markets. You can just go up and sniff your way through the food. So do you miss that about Italy? Because England's not exactly known for having many markets. I do, hugely. And I think that's, you know, it, recently I've been going to, there's a, I'm in Muswell Hill and there's a Sainsbury's and I go to the Sainsbury's for, for certain things. There's something about the wee shop next door that's got the open stalls at front, in the front that draws me, that just reminds me of the frutteria or I choose my food like an Italian. For instance, I always makes I always get snooty about these overpriced sort of bits of herbs you get in, in cellophane you know, with the description of the herb on it. <laughs> you know, all, that, all that description of the unnecessary... I'm a words girl, but that really, I don't like it, you know. And I just, I always remember being um, so impressed the first time I kind of registered, I kind of got into cooking quite early. When you buy herbs in an Italian fruit shop, <laughs> like that fish supper, they, they take a big newspaper out and they just throw all the... You just get a bunch of air, mate. You know, and they throw it or wrap it in a newspaper, you know. And I, I think of that every time I, I lift up this prissy little cellophane overpriced bit of crap. 
<laughs> I feel Italian superior, <laughs> cross, in that very satisfying way. <laughs> that very plain thing of, of garlic and a wee bit of onion sizzling in oil is the beginning. It's like, it's the promise, you know, but it, and that sizzle and smell. And I just, and on Saturday, I'd bought some, I'd bought some mussels. I just had been so worried about the past and the future and the, you know, that whole thing about living in the moment that sounds naff and hippie-ish and you can't do it anyway because it's too hard. And it, I just really did have that sense of, of when I put this, when I put the sofrito in and it was just like the simplest thing and I threw the mussels in, gave it a good sugar, put a glass of wine in, put the lid in and then left it for a few minutes and then I lift the lid and this wave, the smell of just fresh mussels and garlic and wine, the simplest thing in the world, you know, this idea that good food is fussy or, 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 or you know, about poshness or in some way is so, is so wrong when you just have plain mussels and I poured the whole thing like a soup onto a bit of bread. And for a moment I was just... It was enough. It was, I was just all right. I think it's very funny because it's like it's the it's the smell that immediately takes me back to we we started off staying in La Spezia, but then we nagged my father, and we eventually when we, in the summer we went to to stay in Lido di Camaiore from when I was young. So I I had the same group of friends every summer, and when we hit our teens my friend Virginia and I we used to take our tans very very seriously and we had the whole summer to do it and we plastered Ambra Solari oil factor zero all over ourselves and and lay in the at the water's edge um at any hour and at, and at lunchtime and at midday and became deeply deeply brown and I was just thinking about that and I love the smell is so beautiful and I was thinking, I'm really lucky I don't have a face like a handbag. And what's that like? Pubescent sofrito. <laughs> I have a fact, actually, about the smell of Ambrosolaire or Ambrosolaria, which is that I think in the 30s, a perfume was released. I can't remember if it was a Jean Patou or maybe another make. And it was quite different at the time. And... Um, it's thought that Ambre Solaire basically ripped off the smell oh, really? of that. So basically, suntan lotion smells like it does because it copied a perfume, and now that perfume is is nowhere to be found. That's really interesting because it because it it feels so specific. It doesn't. It kind of feels like a perfume, it's, it, it, and you remember it like a perfume in exactly the same way. How fascinating! Christmas trees. I know it's I know it's corny, but it's true. They have to be real. And I was thinking generally about how interesting sort of the connection between smell and memory and language are, how they're complete, you know, it's not just a kind of one-way thing. It's not just smell reminds you of something. It's that, okay, the, the image I had was of, of smelling the tree that my daughter and I chose when she was a teenager and then her lifting the tree and she's very kind of long-legged and striding in front of me to take the tree home in Tuffle Park Road. It was just across the road. And I remember thinking... I remember the word stripling coming into my head and it was like a young, a young long-legged girl and it was the smell of pine and it was a tree and the word was all those things at the same time, which is kind of lovely.
Do you think Christmas trees are uh, an example of something which is disappearing and less and less people have them? Um, this is something we've been thinking about quite a lot, the idea of endangered smells yes, and things I which love are... that, I love that concept that you have. It's true, actually. I mean, I, you know, there's a deep feeling of... <laughs> my, I mean, periodically I think, well, you know, my children are 22 and, I, you know, do I really want a real Christmas tree? And then there's a kind of sense of real sort of disappointment as if I joined the enemy. Um, yeah, but it is, I mean, plasticky trees, I just feel really, the truth is, completely superior to. Um, because it misses the point. There's no point in having, you know, real or, real piney or nothing. I don't know, is it lost? Maybe I think it's just... I remember Billy Connolly talking about nostalgia and, and he was talking about things that you miss and he said that that perhaps really just what was underlying things that you miss was just that you miss being young. Are, are there any things that you've never got to smell and you'd love to know what they smell like? No, I don't think, I don't think smell works like that for me. I don't think it's like a country I want to visit. I think I I fall in love with the smell and then yearn for it again. And I'm strong on yearning. (laughs) It's my thing. (laughs) That was Marcella Evaristi's Life in Sense. To hear all of our previous episodes and be kept up to date, go to lifeincense.com or we are Life in Sense on Twitter. Before we go, here is Adette to tell us about an event she is running in London this month. So I run events every month in London called Scratch and Sniff, which are all about the sense of smell and fragrance in particular. And uh, there's a really fun one coming up on the 18th of October. Um, It's actually the birthday of my regular venue, which is the book club in Shoreditch. So I'm inviting uh, an East London perfumer, Angela Flanders, who's had her shop for, I think, over 25 years, to come and take us on a scented journey around the world from East London to El Salvador. And we're going to be trying some of her wonderful scents. So do come along if you're in London. Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette.